Welcome back to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. Yes, and we are back for several great episodes, both of our podcasts and of One Tree Hill. It is very exciting, right, Caitlin? Yes, very, very exciting. But this week, we are discussing The Quiet Things That No One Ever Knows, the 14th episode of season two, which was written by R. Lee Fleming Jr., directed by Babu Subramaniam, and originally aired on the WB on February 8th, 2005. And... Let me tell you uh, a little bit of a rabbit hole. Well, it wasn't even like a rabbit hole. It was more like a... Like, like what's, what's something smaller than a rabbit hole? Just a hole? A pothole? Oh, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe a pothole? I'll say I went down a pothole with uh, Babu Subramanium because... We always talk about some of the diversity issues, uh, both in front of and behind the camera on this show. Um, but Babu Subramanium is actually of Indian heritage. So... I wanted to do a little bit of research into uh, his career to see what he was up to. Um, first off, uh, he was best known for an assistant director position on Star Trek The Next Generation, and that was as an assistant director role. And he actually has a career as an assistant director that dates back to the 1980s. So wow. it's a pretty long-spanning role, but the guy's 71, for one thing. That's a long career. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, he, he, he's been working as assistant director ever since then. He didn't get his first official directed job until 2002 on the show Strong Medicine. And then he moved on to Third Watch, Ed, ER, and The Division. And then One Tree Hill, this episode right here, was actually the last time he worked as a director. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He still continues to work as an assistant. Um, and for, for all I know, like we, like, I have no idea what was going through his mind. Like maybe he, tr- maybe he tried his hand as working as a director for a few years and said like, you know what? I don't really like this very much. Mm, I'm going to go back to be an assistant. So that is a possibility, but I feel like this kind of opens up an interesting conversation. It just makes you wonder, uh, like, did he have difficulties getting into rooms as a director? Did he have difficulties getting jobs because of who he is? You know, it just it just makes you think, especially like, you know, in this era, the early 2000s. Yeah, I can imagine earlier in his career that it would be even more difficult. I would hope that more doors have opened since then. That's a good point, though. Yeah. So we don't really know the answer to to that. That's why I said, like, kind of went into a pothole because there's really not that much information on him online, unfortunately. But I don't know. It's just I feel like it just opens up a conversation. So I wanted to point that out at the very least. I missed your little fun facts <laughs> about our directors. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> oh my god, it has been. But anyway, let's uh, get into this episode and let's appreciate Babu's uh, last piece of work as a director. As a reminder, this podcast is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. comes home and finds out that Lucas is now living with her and Dan, and that Haley left Nathan. Nathan is surprised that Haley's gone, and admits that he didn't mean it when he told her they were done if she left for the tour. Lucas, Deb, and Dan go to check on Nathan after he gets in trouble at school, and Nathan ends up punching Dan. Later on, Nathan even blames Lucas for everything that's happened with Haley. In other news, it's student council election week. Erica purposely doesn't give Brooke the schedule for the week. 
So Brooke doesn't realize that she needs a peer advocate to speak for her until it's too late. Last minute, Mouth steps in and says sweet things about the kind of person she is. In the end, Brooke wins the election as now student council president. Erica apologizes to Brooke for everything and admits that she doesn't have friends like Brooke does. And because of Mouth's speech, he and Brooke are now friends again. Jules confronts Dan again about ending their arrangement. But Dan continues to blackmail her by saying that no matter what, Keith will get hurt and he wins out in the ends. In order to help Karen, Andy confronts Dan about Lucas and seems to have a plan to fight back against Dan. And Jake and Peyton finally kiss. Oh my gosh. Proposing wireless internet for the cafeteria, I'm Caitlin Illinich. And the candidate with everything. But no anchovies. I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> so that's a deep cut. That's a callback to the deleted scenes. Um, Erica has a little booth and it says, the candidate with everything. And in parentheses, no anchovies. It's revealed that she's given out pizza. But, oh. but it's just so, it was just so funny to read that. I'm like, what? I watched the deleted scene, but I guess I wasn't paying attention to That's what was me immediately. I'm like, <laughs> the candidate with everything, but parentheses, no anchovies. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, that's nice that you don't have anchovies. I'm like, oh, she's talking about the pizza. But that's a really weird fucking way to sell pizza. Um. <laughs> well, we both had Erica Marsh uh intros yeah exactly that was what she was proposing well she told brooke that she was proposing or had a proposal for wireless internet and i'm like oh my god this (laughs) dates the show what is wireless internet (laughs) oh my goodness just for the cafeteria too not for the entire school because listen kids um wireless internet didn't always exist wi-fi is a relatively new invention believe it or not it's scary to think that. <laughs> Honestly. All right. Well, before we feel old, let's get into this episode. So this episode is titled After the Song by Brand New, The Quiet Things That No One Ever Knows. And uh, fun fact, uh, Sam, uh, who you all heard like in season one, she is a diehard fan of Brand New, and I really wish that she could have came on this episode to talk about this because diehard fan um their fandom actually has like a very interesting thing whenever they have a brand new song it's always like oh here's the brand new brand new song (laughs) that's cute i love that and i always just thought that was uh adorable (laughs) but anyway uh this song now is it's essentially about the end of a relationship and what really stood out to me were the lines in the chorus we see today is the day we get tired today is the day we dropped out which I feel like is very obvious on the nose about what it means for the end of a relationship. But I also felt a little bit of a message of hope uh, that gets kicked right off of the chorus. And I'm not entirely sure if that's what they were planning to do when they wrote these lyrics, but death of the author in my case. But the lyric is, so keep the blood in your head and keep your feet on the ground. And I think that just means like keep your head on your shoulders despite all the obstacles that you're going through. Despite all the heartbreak. I hadn't noticed that when I was reading over the lyrics and listening to the song, but that's a really good point. There is like a hopeful tone to the lyrics. Yeah. And I feel like the song is very like upbeat too in general, like the, like the music that accompanies it as well. 
Yeah, it was more upbeat for sure. But I also like, I get like a feeling of, because it's the end of a relationship. The narrator's going through some kind of breakup and you can kind of feel the emotion there. And that really made me think of Nathan specifically, what he's going through with Haley. He's feeling really depressed and he's really struggling with his emotions and like the fact that Haley's gone. He doesn't really know how to deal with it all. So I think the song really has some Nathan and Haley vibes for sure. Mm hmm. Poor Nathan. Today's the day they got tired. Today's the day they dropped out. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please giggle, Caitlin, at the very least. <laughs> this episode is not a feel-good episode, okay? Just like the last one. <laughs> so it's... Um, I have to disagree. I mean, it's not with all the Nathan stuff and the Lucas stuff. Yeah. It's not. But there are some feel-good moments. There are several feel-good moments. Okay. Hello, Jake and Peyton. Hello, Brooke winning the president. So, the Jake and kiss? I have thoughts on that. Oh, come on. Don't ruin that. Very I'm nuanced gonna, thoughts, actually. I'm going to be really upset if you ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a latent fan, but I am really going to be upset if you ruin the Jake and Peyton No, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm just... It's it's not what I was expecting. Because I honestly forgot how they had their first kiss. And we'll, we'll get to that when we get to Jaden. Okay. 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 That's fine. <laughs> well, first off, let's start off with Lucas's opening voiceover. Yes. So the quote is by Octavio Paz. Solitude is the profoundest fact of the human condition. Man is the only being who knows he is alone. It was, this is a pretty profound quote, I would say, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm not really, like, I feel like I know what it means. I don't know how to necessarily articulate it. Do, I mean, do you have thoughts? <laughs> it's a tough one, and I don't even know, like, why they chose this one to start the episode with. Like, I get how solitude, that may relate to, like, what Nathan's dealing with. And maybe Lucas kind of feels like he's on his own and trying to manage Dan on his own in this new, like, health issue that he has. Like, there's a lot of things like that where the characters are kind of going at it alone. Yeah. But the quote in itself, the first sentence kind of, I don't know, I guess... What it's saying is that, like, solitude is unique to humanity. Like, what other species is going to feel what solitude feels like? Or what it feels like to be alone? Like, we are the most intelligent species <laughs> on are Earth. Are we, though? <laughs> I mean, that's questionable. That is questionable. Good point. <laughs> but we're aware of... The fact that we are are alone, or that we could be alone. I guess that's really what it's saying. Okay. All right. I took it in the, like, kind of a different direction, and I'm going to try my best to articulate this the best way I can. But I feel like, you know, when we're talking about solitude, just the act of like just being alone, I feel like 
only you, the individual, know that you're alone. Because, I don't know, you're not looking at other people thinking like, wow, that person's alone. You're thinking, you're usually just thinking about yourself. So, like, all these characters are going through their own, like, little struggles. We see Lucas with his whole uh, ordeal with, with, uh, staying with Dan, and basically defying Karen. Through Karen's eyes. Karen's, I feel like, Karen's getting very, like, uh, annoyed with Lucas. But then Lucas is essentially on his own with all the information that he has about Dan. And all the information he has about his HCM. There's Nathan, where everything going on with this heartbreak, like, yeah, other people see that he's heartbroken, but nobody else really feels what he's feeling. So he is alone in that regard. I would totally agree. I don't think what I said and what you said are that different, but okay, I, I get what you're saying. Like, no one else can say, like, you are alone. Like, you know if you feel alone. Yeah. You're the only mm-hmm. person who can feel, like, what that feels like, you know? Yeah. And acknowledge, like, that you are living in solitude or feeling lonely. For sure. This got really deep. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, I feel like we need to, like, you know, get high with this conversation. Like, Um, Like, I get why they chose the quote, but also, I don't know. I feel like they were really trying to be really deep by choosing this. And I don't think it really fully matches what's going on in the episode. Right. Like, I mean, it does, but... It, it does to an extent. You know, the, the show really tries to be more highbrow than it is. When sometimes I just wish it would, like, more... It would lead more into, like, the whole soap opera aspect of it. Because, come on, that's what this... That's what the show is. And soap operas are great, you know? And I, I love the Lucas voiceovers and always have, because I think Chad Michael Murray is just, like, a fantastic voiceover artist, or whatever you call it, actor. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just, it's so compelling when he says certain quotes and, like, as we go through the series. But I'm realizing through my rewatches and actually listening to what the quotes are really saying you're right they are a bit highbrow at times (laughs) like i don't know if this totally fits like the tone of the episode but like it relates it does but whatever you just like hearing chad's sexy voice that's okay basically basically yeah you know (laughs) don't judge it's like how does he normally say it octavio paz once wrote solitude is the profoundest fact of the human condition Man is the only being who knows he is alone. That did not sound like Chad at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good attempt. Anyway, um, let's talk about stuff that we're more equipped to talk about. Like, you know, the actual <laughs> episode plot points. <laughs> so Deb comes back. Was she just not in one episode? Or was it several she wasn't in? Because I cannot remember. Can you? She definitely wasn't in the last one. Yeah, I feel I... like she may have been missing from 212 as well. Okay. I'm not entirely sure, but the, I think the last time we saw her was when uh was, was when her and uh, Karen had that, that little conflict after Zeb revealed that she slept with Keith. Yeah, that's the last thing that I can really remember. And that was 211. With her so storyline. I don't think she was in 212, but yeah, she definitely was missing from 213. And yeah, she comes back and all of a sudden she's like, oh, Lucas is living with us. That's nice to know. And that's, I just got to say, oof to that, because 
that's gotta be awkward for Lucas, too. Yeah, because, well, Deb is, like, telling Dan, like, this is not Lucas's home. Mm-hmm. Why is he here? So that must be really confusing for her. And yeah. then she also finds out that Haley left Nathan. And yep. she actually seemed concerned about that, which is different from, like, earlier in the season when she really wanted them to be split up anyway, but now it looks like Deb is more concerned than anything. Yeah. Because I feel like at the end of the day, like, she didn't want her son to be hurt. Yeah. Um. You know, she may have wanted them to break up, but she was probably hoping for, like, more of a mutual breakup. Not an instance in which, like, the wife leaves. So, I think it's very natural. Where Dan is, Dan's just gloating the entire time. He's so excited about it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, Dan, Nathan's gonna move back in here soon. Dan, read the verb. This is not the time. I know. Also, how did Dan find out? Uh, I guess he could have found out from Lucas. Now I think about it. Yeah, probably. I think just word has spread to everyone, basically. Right, of course. Because I don't imagine, like, Nathan giving him a call saying, like, hey, by the way, my wife left me. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Considering Nathan punches Dan in this episode, uh, I don't yeah. think they're on, like, um, close terms leading mm-hmm. up to it. Which, I guess we can segue right into uh, Nathan's depression. Oh, which is, like... This is a huge theme in the episode, and there are so many scenes with Nathan. Did you realize that? There are, yeah. Like, he like, pretty much, like, he's there for the entirety of the episode. Everything else is just a subplot. Yeah, but, and I feel like it really did focus on him, and he was paired with so many different characters. Like, yep. we have Nathan with Lucas. We have Nathan with Karen, which was, that was an interesting pairing. Yeah. We have Nathan go visit Peyton. And then obviously we have Nathan when um, Deb and Dan and Lucas came to like check in on him. Yep. All at the same time. So basically every character. And then don't forget the scene in class where he opens what's not a beer, it's malt liquor or whatever. And does it like right in the middle of class. And then slut shames his teacher, which not a good look. Definitely not. But... You know, yeah. this this isn't Nathan, you know. He's definitely being out of character right now. This was season one Nathan, like early season one Nathan. That's something that he would say. Like, he yeah. just seemed yeah. angry and like a jerk. He was just yeah. a jerk to his teacher. He's regressing, regressing to his former behavior because he doesn't have like Haley essentially to keep him accountable. And he's he's essentially being an asshole again. But again, like this isn't him. We I don't feel like we could hold him super accountable for his actions. No, and then he's punching Dan, which Dan deserves it, but, like, Nathan had a bit of a violent streak early on. He was always getting into fights. He was just mad about things and took it out, like, physically. So we really are seeing an earlier version of him that we haven't seen in a while, and I don't like it because I really was liking the Nathan, the new Nathan. Like, he was turning into a really awesome guy. Yeah, we don't like this this version of Nathan at all. And I know, like, in uh, previous episodes from, in uh, audio commentaries, the creator of the show has mentioned, like, oh, like, um, Nathan has become a little bit emasculated because he, um, he got together with Haley. And, you know, now we're starting to see him be more masculine. And I'm like, we don't like that. <laughs> no. Like, like, even back then, I wonder, you know, when... when 
I mean, toxic masculinity is all thins and I, but back then, I feel like it was even more prevalent. But I wonder, did fans back then think, like, oh, wow, thank goodness this is happening to Nathan right now. He's so masculine. I miss this guy. There's no way that fans were buying into this character in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, buying into, like, his depression and everything, yeah. But not, uh... You know, I I don't like him, you know? I feel bad for him. I feel sorry for him. Depression aside, we weren't buying into, like, this... Just... I don't even know how to describe it. But, like, this... I've already said it, but earlier version of him. Yeah. Because I... Fans would love who he became. Really. I mean, who didn't love to see that evolution of his character? And when he got together with Haley, it did change him. Which I know in this episode, that's pointed out by, who says that? Um, Brooke says that. Brooke says that. Okay. I Yes. I thought it was Peyton, but then, yes, yeah. it was Brooke. Yeah, Brooke is talking to Peyton. Yes. Um, and I, I want to I, I come back to this uh, a little bit later. Um, but Brooke's talking to Peyton and says, I can't believe Haley left uh, Nathan for Chris. And then Peyton's like... No, listen, like, she did not leave uh, Nathan for Chris. Like, she told me. It's it's not about Chris. And then, you know, Brooke goes through all these, like, notions saying, like, oh, like, back then, like, you know, Nathan was, like, was, was sexy and mysterious and violence and Haley changed him, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, she was sort of, like, she was sort of explaining his character development in many ways. Yes. Okay. The scene is coming back to me now. I just had like a brain fart and I couldn't remember who said it, but I knew knew it was addressed in this episode. And I think Haley, I mean, she really did change him. Whether that can happen in real life, I don't know. But like in the perfect world of One Tree Hill, (laughs) Haley did in fact change Nathan. Right. Um, She was a a huge influence on his character. And it's because Nathan wanted to change, by the way. Yeah. You know, it's all, you know, I'm just saying like young people out there, hey, even older people out there, do not try to change like your significant others because it's it's not a good place to be. You know, do not be with somebody to change them. Yeah. The person has to want to change and Nathan wanted to change, obviously. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's a two-part thing. But Don't she, take this as a lesson. <laughs> but Haley definitely influenced him. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of wanted, he wanted to be better for her. So that's admirable. Um, right. Yeah, so that's my whole big point. I kind of went on a, a tangent there, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you go on tangents. Um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about some of these scenes that we see uh, Peyton and Nathan together. And Peyton initially tells Nathan, like, she doesn't think there's a possibility for her and Jake to be together. And that's what Nathan says. Oh, you're better off. And then he looks at the people always leave uh, sketch on her wall. And she says, you got it right, Peyton. People always leave. And that is really sad. And then I love the scene in Dakota where uh, Peyton sends him a drawing. It's, uh, two, it's two hands wearing wedding rings. And it says, sometimes they come back. I know. That was really sweet. And I, I love that they paired Nathan and Peyton together. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like a natural pairing because... Peyton was dealing with um, Jake being gone for a while, and then he did come back. So I think, yeah, Nathan went to her for a reason to gain some kind of insight on it all, like why Haley would have left. Like, he was searching for answers in this episode, and I I don't know, I I just really liked the pairing with with Peyton in this one. Yeah, and it's kind of like a full circle moment because, like, 
Peyton was with Nathan when he was the asshole that he used to be. And now here we are, he's starting to become the asshole. Except that I feel like he's a little bit more, he's a little bit nicer to Peyton here than he was before. But I feel like that might be intentional to show that that the guy that Nathan ended up becoming is still there. Or the guy the guy that he uh, that he became because of Haley is still there. He just has to, like, find it. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is full circle. Uh, there's also the scene with uh, Lucas and Nathan, where Nathan essentially blames Lucas. He says, like, you should have just stayed on the river core because you've ruined my life. And there's so many layers. And then we see the scene with him and Karen. He say, he apologizes to Karen, saying, like, I'm sorry that my dad, like, broke your heart and everything like that. Because now he's starting to feel that same exact heartbreak. Yeah, I'm going to read that quote, actually. Oh, please do. So Nathan said this to Karen. Ms. Rowe, I'm sorry my dad was such a dick to you. I never thought about it much until lately. I know he must have really hurt you. And, yeah, Nathan's been in his bubble for so long. I don't think he probably ever really thought about what Karen went through. Yeah, But now this this is giving him, while a totally different situation... This is giving him, thinking about what she went through is giving him some insight into his own situation and how painful it must have been for Karen. I, I just liked that moment, so I wrote that quote down. Yeah. And then we see Karen tell, tells Nathan, she says that Haley is a good person and eventually she will do the right thing, which I think is like a nice like nuance thing to say. I don't know, like... I feel like in comparison to Peyton, I feel like when somebody's going through a breakup, I feel like you really shouldn't give people too much hope that they'll eventually come back. Because what happens if they don't? Yeah, that's a tough situation. So you think Peyton giving him that that picture? I mean, there's the disclaimer it says sometimes they come back, which yeah. is great. Um, it's it's so hard, like, because you want to give people hope, but I feel like the better message of hope you should give somebody is that like you'll be okay. And your wounds will heal. I don't think you should necessarily be like, oh, they'll come back. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe they'll change their minds. And of course, like, I feel like we, the audience, we want Haley to come back, of course. But, you know, it's it, it's a tricky situation for sure. Or tell them, like, things will happen as as they should happen, you know? So that might yeah. involve the person coming back or it could maybe not involve that. Exactly. I'm projected a little bit, too, because, like, right now in my personal life, I actually have two friends who are going through a breakup right now, so... Oh, boy. <laughs> so, like, I'm actually, like, going through, like, that situation where I'm trying to, like, be there for for one person in particular, say that, like, you have to deal with the possibility he may not come back, yeah. you know? So, it's, it's tricky, for sure. But I think it's hopeful... And like you said, there is a little bit of a disclaimer there with sometimes. Yeah. And if it's like the narrative of fiction, for sure. I'm just saying, like, don't do this in real life, folks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to feel about it, really. Like, I guess I don't think it's leading him on too much. But I think Nathan, he needed to feel a little hope in this episode. Yeah. To at least attempt to mend things with Haley. So I think he needed that push in that direction. And then, you know what? By the end of the episode, he does give her a phone call. That's what I mean. Yeah. It pushed him to do that. Yeah. So maybe, like, feel that little bit of hope would give him, would encourage him a little bit to make that phone call. Okay, so I can, I can see it from yeah. that perspective, so. 
Because, like, okay, like, he can call her, and, like, Haley can tell him to fuck off. But he has to, like, deal with that. But he has, but in this, uh, in this situation, Nathan's at least trying. And I feel like that's wonderful. Yeah, he has to confront reality. So that involved, like, there's so many, um, there's so much left unsaid between he and Haley that they need to talk, regardless of they're getting back together or not, you know? Yeah. There has to be a conversation. <laughs> right. So. And, you know, there was the thing where he told Karen, like, he didn't mean it when he said, like, oh, you go on tour, it's over between us. He didn't mean it. And I feel like he needs to tell her that. There needs to be a conversation so they can resolve all their issues. Exactly. And maybe Haley will come back. Maybe. Maybe that'll so. change things in her mind. Because he was basically saying, like, you can't follow your dream. You need to stay here with me. And if you don't stay here, we're done. And Nathan's further. He's hurt by the fact that, like, she left anyway. But Haley's probably hurt because she was given an ultimatum and made mm-hmm. to choose between two things that are really important to her. And th- that in itself was hurtful, you know? Yeah. So they're hurt in different ways. And yeah, they have to talk. They just have to talk about it. Just talk yeah. about it. <laughs> exactly. This breakup is so complicated. Like, I really felt like one way entirely before we got into the season. Now I'm like, this is really complicated on all sides, I think. It really is. Like, okay, maybe like Haley is, I feel like Haley's taking a lot of heat right now. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people are pretty mad at her. Like, Lucas seems pretty mad at her when he gives her a phone call, saying, like, you have to come back for Nathan. Um, But Haley also has to pursue her dreams, so I feel like Lucas has to, he has to be there for both sides. You know, he shouldn't necessarily try to say, like, Haley, you just gotta come back. Yeah, I know. And that that conversation with Lucas was, it was the only scene that we got with Haley in this episode. Mm -hmm. And it was weird to, like, you really felt her absence, you know? And... Lucas is, he was right in saying, like, Nathan really loves you, but I don't think Lucas is in the position to tell her what to do. He should be there to support her, but I don't think he should have said, you need to come back. Right. That's really kind of, that he needs to, like, (laughs) stay out of their business uh, a little bit, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Like, he has to make space for Haley and her decisions as well. Like, it's not all about Nathan in this instance. It's about both of them. And both of them are going through some very, very complicated feelings and emotions right now. Whew, so that, wow. that storyline dominated the episode, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Haley wasn't even in it. <laughs> Basically, she was in one yeah. whole scene. <laughs> I know, exactly. Because Bethany Joy Lance was going on tour for the One Tree Hill tour. <laughs> Is that really what it was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a life-imitated art. No. Art imitated life. Yeah, art imitated life. That's what it is. So, yeah, that's why Bethany Joy Lads is... Yeah, she's on tour on the show, but she's also on tour in real life. That's why, like, we only see her in, like, in one scene here and there in some of the episodes. There's some episodes where she's not even in them at all. Well, you're giving spoilers away, but... But... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. I feel like we could, like, Eh, make assumptions that she'll be messing. It's the tour. She's on the tour. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Are we ready to move on to some lighter-hearted, uh, fair... (laughs) Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Nathan has some shit to deal with, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, boy. But on a lighter note, we have Brooke and her student council presidential election. <laughs> yes. Is she running for president? Like, of the U.S.? 
coming. Yes. <laughs> Brooke, the cheer squad needs you so much more than America does. <laughs> Bevin, you do realize I'm not running for president of the United States, right? And then Bevin's face, she's like, ow. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. And this is it. like, I, I feel like this is the introduction of like dumb Bevin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, we do see a lot more of Bevin, like, in the series. And she plays, like, a lot of dumb lines like this. And they're just so funny, though. Like, maybe it's problematic to, like, play into the dumb blonde stereotype, but, like, she really owns this part. It is just so funny. <laughs> Bevin, she has some good one-liners. <laughs> As we get deeper into the show. <laughs> some really, really good one-liners. And yeah, can't wait. Can't wait till we see more of her. On other funny notes, I love that Erica has given out campaign CDs. And then Brooke is like, I'm more of an MP3 girl. <laughs> I'm like, before your time, Brooke Davis, you were getting into digital music before, yes. <laughs> before the rest of America was. Oh, I love it. This is why America will vote for you, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> so... A big source of conflict in this uh, episode is that uh, Erica doesn't give the schedule to Brooke, which I gotta call out a little bit because, okay, so the way this is framed, Erica walks up to Whitey and says like, hey, Coach Durham, are you ready to hand out those schedules? And then then Whitey's like, yeah, 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 sure. And then, and then Erica's like, oh, I'll give, I'll give the one to Brooke as well. And I'm like, okay, Erica, she was actually proactive to, like, seek out these schedules. Like, does Brooke not know that these schedules exist? Because the blame is put on Erica (laughs) for not giving her the schedule. Like, obviously, Erica knew the schedules existed, and that's great. But, like, how come Brooke does it? Yeah, you wonder. I guess because Erica has done this before, and this is Brooke's first time, maybe. You could explain it like that. But, yeah, you would think... She would be looking for the schedule because why did she assume, like, I don't know. I guess it's an important week for it's the election week. So you would think she yeah. would need to know what she needed to do. But who knows? Yeah. It's a TV show, Jeremy. Really. I know. <laughs> I know. But I feel like a better way to position this plot would be, like, oh, um, there was a meeting where they discussed all the, all the things. They discussed the schedule and everything like that. For some reason, Brooke couldn't make it to the meeting. Like, let's say Brooke, like, contacts Whitey and says, hey, I can't make it to the meeting because of X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know, something to do with the cheer squad. I don't know. She Let's just say she couldn't make it to the meeting. And then, maybe then, Erica would, would have been like, oh, I'll give it to Brooke during class. And then, in that case, I feel like it would be very justified in thinking, okay, Brooke didn't know about this, uh, about this peer, uh, this peer advocate. Yeah. You know? But I instead, guess- it's like, Brooke just didn't know there was a schedule, you know? I guess this was just a quicker scene than having a whole meeting. That's my assumption, but you're right. That would make a lot more sense than I don't know. But I'm, I'm just thinking. So I'm just thinking to myself. I'm like, gosh, should Brooke be president if she doesn't even know like what her responsibilities are supposed to be? I love Brooke, and she would totally have my vote. But come on, you know. Yeah, I know. But er- Erica is made to be like the villain here. Yeah. And basically, she shames Brooke. Basically, in all of her campaigns, it's like yes. shaming her in some way. Yeah, I don't think Erica is a good person by any means. But. No, like she's ruthless, and this this is like the final straw 
to screw over Brooke so she doesn't have a peer advocate. But Brooke's awesome and Mouth wanted to step in and help her out. And I'm uh, sure if Mouth didn't, like Lucas would have or someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. Freaking Bevan would have stepped in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I would have loved to hear a speech from Bevan. Yep. That are like, and this is why America needs Brooke Davis. <laughs> um, just a random aside, um, I, the campaign buttons that that Erica hands out. I slept with Brooke Davis, but I'm voting for Erica Marsh. And I love when Brooke is like, first of all, no, you didn't. And second of all, where did you get it? <laughs> she just like grabs a guy, like pushes him against the wall. It's so funny. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of good comedy in uh, the storyline. Now, if it is comedy, but like in reality, if a student were to have all these like negative campaigns against another oh, yeah. student, like it would not fly at all. Right, right. You would be out of the race for the election or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. So the best of my knowledge, like whenever people were like running for like student council president or whatever, and in our high school, you had to get like approval for like posters. You had to get like each thing stamped. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Absolutely. it was like a it was like a whole thing. So like these would not fly at all. You can't just let teenagers put stuff up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like any old thing. Absolutely not. It would have to be approved. Oh my god! Like I can see like being sneaky and like talking behind her back and everything like that. But posters? No, this wouldn't fly. Oh boy! And in the end, we see the peer advocate like speech thing. We see. Mm-hmm. Erica has the freaking principal. <laughs> Which is so weird. That is so weird. And he's talking about being friends with her. And I'm like, this is strange. <laughs> I am so uncomfortable hearing this. Whoever wrote that is like, ugh, yikes. Uh, I don't just see her as a student. I see her as a friend. Of course, there's a considerable age difference between us. And I'm like, this isn't cool. It's called a peer advocate. So that means a peer, your principal, your teacher, anyone who's working at the school is not a peer. Yeah. (laughs) It's a classmate. That's what it is. Yeah. Like, I, okay, I can see, like, having a teacher. I can see, like, having a teacher or principal speak on your behalf. Like, whatever. Um... You know, if you have, like, a close relationship. But I feel like the line where, like, I also consider her a friend. Like, that's not cool. No, it would be seen as favoring that student, and that wouldn't fly. I yeah. don't, personally. No, uh, maybe. Don't, I don't think that uh, would fly. <laughs> that was the only thing maybe uncomfortable, is, like, considering her a friend. Which, you know, definitely makes me think about, you know, the politics that happen behind the scenes on this show. Talking about, like, you know, people in power, considering quote-unquote lower-level people as friends, it's an issue. Yeah. That's another conversation, Jeremy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but Brooke, first, uh, first off, she tries to get a little sock puppet. Erica, the backstab inside... I can't say words. I'm just going to keep that in. <laughs> Erica, the backstab and sock puppet. <laughs> that was so corny. <laughs> so corny. <laughs> she really tried. And then that's when Mouth is like, I'll speak for her. And it was really yep. sweet. So that that whole story arc with uh, Brooke and Mouth has now been, like, completed, I guess. Because <laughs> it kind of yeah. went on for a bit. And it didn't even, like... It only lasted an episode. You're saying it went on for a bit? <laughs> no, it went on since, like, the formal. 
their argument and then he smashed the window and then finally told her in the uh, last episode. I'm talking about that. That's a whole arc oh, to me. Okay. okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Multi-episode story arc, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Even though, like, you know, like the flaw I pointed out in the previous episode, um, Brooke seemed to be okay with Mouth in the last episode, despite that argument they had at the formal. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that was never, like, fully resolved, but now it's it's resolved, I guess, <laughs> because they're friends. Yeah. He said all these really nice things about her. Um, and it's just funny to think, because, like, now Mouth seems to be okay with being friends with her, despite previously him saying that he... Ha! <laughs> Could it either? He's like, it's too hard. I'm like, it's not okay. It's not hard anymore. Like, mouth, you still have feelings in this situation too. You know. It's, oh my god, you're right. This yeah, season so- is more of a. I love this season, but it's more of a mess than I think I realized. Yeah. So like, he wasn't fine with being friend, just friends before, but now they're just friends. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make any sense. You're right. That is kind of a mess of a storyline. Mm-hmm. How they wrote it. Ugh. Yikes. So many potholes. But anyway, Brooke wins. <laughs> That's the most important part. <laughs> yes. And I love that. I love the like uh, conversation that she and Erica have. Um, Erica says that you know student council president is all that she is. And then that's when Brooke realizes, like, hey, I can relate to this too because all I used to be was the rich girl. And that's when they both, essentially both of them discovered that they can be other things and that they can be well-rounded people and accomplish other things. Yeah, that was a nice conversation that they had. Finally, they actually had a conversation that where they were being truthful with each other. <laughs> yep. And I, you know, you're supposed to feel bad for Erica and I did feel a little bad for her because she doesn't really have any friends. Like Brooke has friends. But that still gives gave her no reason to treat Brooke how she did with her campaigns and everything. Yeah. But it gives you a little bit more insight into her character and where yeah. she was coming from a little bit. That was her thing, you know, being the student council president. And she was trying to, like, hold on to that. And now she doesn't have it. But, oh, well, exactly. someone else's turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do hope we get to say more of Erica Marsh played by Catherine Bayless, star of the 2002 cinematic musical masterpiece from Justin McKelly. What? <laughs> she was in that? Yes! We had this exact conversation in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, we did, didn't we? I thought it seemed familiar, but I was like, I don't know anything about that, so... I'm not gonna pretend that I do. <laughs> I don't know if you got if you understood it because I was just editing that episode today. Actually, um, I don't know if you understood like how funny that was when I said that because this movie is like known for being like a flop and like it's terribly reviewed, terrible with audiences. Oh. It was like it was bad. So I, I had so I explained the joke and now the joke is funny, right? I hope so, it. Is. So that was sarcasm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> it's so funny listening back to your comments that you're like, 
I don't know anything about this movie. And I'm like, Caitlin, you're not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so that means I really don't know anything about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I do love that movie, though, like, completely unapologetically. Oh, but, you, yeah. you do like it. Okay. I actually do like it, yeah. I just liked it, too, as she said in the, in the episode itself. And it's, uh, yeah. But it should be noted, the movie is known for being really, really bad. <laughs> To Justin and Kelly? From Justin to Kelly. From Justin to Kelly. I don't even know the title of it. <laughs> it's, it's, you don't, okay, you don't know anything about the movie? Okay, so it's, uh, it's Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini. They filmed it right after, um, they filmed their season of American Idol. Oh. And this was, like, a way to, like, capitalize on, like, their, their fame, essentially. And it didn't work. It did not work at all. It didn't work. Okay. I love Kelly Clarkson, though. Oh, yeah. No, she's great. But she even admitted that she should not have made that movie. She didn't even want to make it. Huh. I'll have but it was, to look like, part it. of, like, her contract when she won American Idol. But, like, she had to. Really? It was part of her contract? <laughs> yes. That's weird. Has any so, other winner of that show had to do something like that? Because she was the I, first one. Sh- yeah, it was the first one, and I'm pretty sure the movie did so badly that they said, like, we're not doing this ever again. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Oh, my God. No, complete and total flop. Yeah. But I don't know anything anyway. about it, Jeremy, so thank you for that. You're so welcome. Let's let's watch it together. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to force you to do an episode of Baker Soundstage, but we should just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. But yeah, so Catherine Bayless plays the villain in that movie, too, just like she does here. I see it. She's got villain vibes. Mm-hmm. She does. She's really good at it. Mm-hmm. And yes. Well, let's talk about Dan. <laughs> <laughs> the inevitable. The inevitable Dan Scott. I'm like, oh, great. We're moving on to. That's like, damn, we're, we're having like some whiplash here. We moved from like, you know, depressing shit, the funny shit. And now we're like, okay, now we're moving into some dark territory. Yep. <laughs> all the emotions in this episode. All the yes. emotions. This whole Jules and Dan thing is, like, driving me crazy. Absolutely crazy. She keeps... So Jules keeps going to him, saying she wants to end this arrangement, and he doesn't want to do it. He still wants to continue on. And, like, he explains to Jules that, okay, so if you tell Keith he'll be hurt, and he want, and then Dan wins in the end, if you don't tell Keith... I, meaning Dan, could tell Keith at any moment, you know, what Jules has done. And then in the end, that hurts Keith and and Dan wins again. So it's like, yeah. no matter the move she makes or he makes, like, Keith gets hurt and Dan gets what he set out to get. <laughs> the latter situation, I feel like it's hurting Jules a little bit more, though, because that means if, like, if Jules goes through with just marrying Keith... That she's going to be on her toes because she's wondering, like, oh, my God, is Dan going to say anything? Yeah. I feel like that's going to hurt Jules. And I'm, like, wondering, like, why do you want to hurt Jules, Dan? It's outright sociopathic in that regard. Like, yeah, hurt Keith. I'm not saying that's right, too. I know. And I think Jules says this to Dan. She's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, really, what is wrong with him? And he, he explained it like Keith slept with Deb and like you're still upset about this Deb is living with you again like you're trying to mend your marriage and you had issues before Deb even slept with Keith it's just like he has a one track mind about Keith is evil 
And yep. and the irony of it all is that Dan is the one who's actually evil. Sure, Keith made a mistake. Deb and Keith, I mean, it's their own business, but they probably shouldn't have slept together because that did complicate things and it did hurt feelings. We have to acknowledge that it was hurtful for Dan, but like, come on They were now. about to get a divorce. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Come on. Ugh. That's all I'll get. I'm not saying it was a good thing. Yeah, it wasn't a good thing, but... You know, I, th- I think Zeph have every right to, to fuck Keith, okay? I get that Dan is hurt. I understand why he's hurt. He has a right to be hurt. But, like, why does he have to go to this level of blackmail and revenge? Like, why? Yep. But it doesn't look like this uh, revenge plot's going to last for much longer, though, because Andy has a plan. Yeah, I'm curious what this plan, plan yeah. is. He's talking to Karen, and he says... There is something we can do. Dun, 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 what is it? <laughs> yeah, it didn't really, this episode didn't flesh anything out of like what was, what's going to happen, but. Yeah, but at the end of the episode, and I do, I do remember what happens, but like the end of the episode where like, you know, he calls somebody for like a job and I'm like wondering, I'm like, does, does Andy know a hitman? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. In which case, I'm like, this is going places. I kind of enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be an interesting, interesting twist there. <laughs> yes. Oh, I wanted to mention the, uh, the Call of the Wild reference in relation to Dan and Lucas. Oh, yeah. So, as you saw... At one point, Lucas is reading the book, and then he gets a phone call. And then later on in the kitchen, Dan and Lucas were talking about the book because pe- apparently Lucas had found found it, and it was Dan's like old book from when he was a kid or from a long time ago or something like that. Anyway, they quoted something, and it's not a quote from from the book itself, but it's like a theme. And do you remember when they said "kill or be killed"? Yes, yeah. And I was like, huh. That's interesting to me. I want to see, like, what the significance of that is, basically. So The Call of the Wild is a book about um, a dog named Buck, and he is stolen from a really nice home, and he's made to be a sled dog in Alaska. So, basically, the dog has to survive, and in order to do that, he becomes, like, wild and, like, more feral than he was in order to to survive all the conditions because they're in Alaska or whatever. And I thought that was interesting because I was trying to think of that in relation to Dan, like this idea of kill or be killed, because basically that's what it comes down to with the dog. The dog either has to kill or he will be killed because he has to survive ultimately. And I don't know. I found that to be interesting to me that it was quoted like they said that in the episode with Dan and Lucas. And it kind of, it made me think of, like, this must relate to Dan's motivation a little bit. I don't know. He's so ruthless. Like, basically, he's he's not killing anyone. It's either, let me hurt you so that I don't get hurt, almost. You know, like, I can protect myself. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's funny, it's funny, like, you, you went off on by saying that, though, because when, uh, when you were first talking about how, um... How this dog had to survive the wilderness. I thought it would be like, here's Lucas in the Scott household, and this is his own way of like surviving this wilderness. Yeah, and I, I guess you could kind of, you could relate it to Lucas a little bit too. I yeah. just thought it was, it was interesting 
that they included that in their conversation. Like, it just seemed important to, like, analyze. <laughs> so that's what I yeah. did. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it could apply for both of them, though, because obviously, like, it depended on their own experiences. They're both living in this whole killer-be-killed mentality. They had into more negative space, and then Lucas into more positive space, just trying to... Yeah. Lucas is just trying to live. And he's trying... Lucas is also trying to protect Keith, too. Like, that's a component of it, from being hurt. So that's my little literary reference <laughs> segment of Always and Forever. <laughs> Your literary reference segment. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, what, is, is that what you're calling it? Mm-hmm. Your literary reference? Yep. That's exactly. should go with like a cool name for that. I know. Caitlin's lit Kynes. <laughs> Caitlin's Lit Crit. I like that. <laughs> Can we please remember it? Because I just imagine we'll probably forget all about it come the next episode. Caitlin's Lit Crit. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. Oh. My favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Let's talk about it. That's interesting. This is your favorite part. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely my favorite part. I don't hate it. What do you not like about it? I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I was expecting a little bit more fanfare for their ki- for their first kiss. And it just, it just sort of like passes by. It's very natural, though, which I feel like that's, that's cool. It that was it is very so natural. natural. It was really well acted. Yeah, like, there's not, like, a dare, a dare you to move moment. And I feel like no. maybe I was, like, anticipating that. No. We, but I guess, like, it's... We might get something else. So we might get something else soon. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. Mm, mm. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's definitely your dare you to move, dare you to move moment. But okay, I'm not going to say yet. anything about that. But yeah, like, it was, you know, it was fine. It was, it was okay. I cannot believe that you're not excited about this moment. <laughs> it, was, it was cute. It was cute. And, you know, I like how the two of them came together because, like, you know, Peyton's thinking the entire time, like, oh, Jake doesn't have any time for me because he has to do all this stuff for his daughter and everything like that. Um, you know, Peyton even has to give him money to take Jenny to the doctor, which is fucked up because... You know, I'm not going to go on a tangent about how the world should have universal health care, but the world should have universal health care. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that was really something. Yeah. And also, schools should have child care for, like, you know, for, for teen parents and for, you know, not only teen parents, but also for, like, the stu- the uh, teachers who are parents as well. Like, he has to bring, he has to bring poor Jenny to, to school just so he can go to school. Some schools do, but not all of them. Our school did. Did it? Yeah, it did. Oh, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> it, it did have childcare. I mean, our school was like a, a star school. I could, you could say like our school was like pretty well funded and everything like that, which again, that's another, that's a whole nother tangent we could go on about how mm-hmm. <laughs> education needs to be funded and everything. So like, Jake is just experiencing a shit ton of obstacles and it's c- kind of preventing him from being with Peyton. And I really did like the scene where Jake says, uh... The whole time that I was gone, I kept thinking about all the stuff that I should have done when I had the chance, but didn't. And Peyton's like, well, like, what kind of stuff? And then Jake's like, I don't know. Mostly being with you. And then they kiss. And then Jenny stops crying. Which, okay, maybe the reason why there's not no fanfare is because they want to emphasize the fact that Jenny was crying and then she stops. 
Because I thought that was really cute how she like looks at the two of them kissing and she's like giggling. It's so cute. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a really sweet moment. Yeah. I think I like it more than I'm giving myself credit for. <laughs> and I I don't know. I felt like it fit it fit their story because like there was a lot of unspoken I guess you could say tension or just unspoken not even necessarily tension. I, I feel like it didn't even get to that level, like sexual tension. It, it was just, right. there was some of it because Peyton didn't want to sleep in the bed with him anymore. But I feel like there was just a lot of unspoken feelings that they had. Yeah. And, and this is the first time where they truly acknowledge it. Exactly. And I think it was like kind of ignored and like Jenny was the priority and like they didn't want to address these feelings because it might complicate things. But, um,. Yeah, this is the f- first moment that they address it. I thought it, I thought Brian Greenberg did a really wonderful job acting in this scene. Mm-hmm. I could feel what Peyton was feeling because you you know that Peyton wanted to hear those things for a long time, but she didn't. And I don't know. He he was really sweet. He was just really sweet in how he said it. And like you said, it felt really natural. Like this is actually a conversation that a couple might have. <laughs> In reality, right. like there's not like in reality, there's usually no fanfare. You're not yeah. not not like a TV level fanfare, <laughs> right? And and that's why I feel like I like it in that regard because it is very natural and a very mature relationship. Yeah. Because you know it's not like Nathan Haley with these like you know sweeping levels of romance where you know the the music swells and then blows up. Dare you to move? Like that. You know? <laughs> Do that again, please. <laughs> I, I'm not. No. <laughs> that was it. You can listen to it when you edit the episode. All right. <laughs> um, also, on a, on a, on a very uh, personal note, um, you know the move where, where Peyton like, uh, bites like Jake's like bottom lip? I have a confession to make. I learned that move from the show. She bit his bottom lip yes. in this episode? Yes, she does. I didn't pay attention to she that. She kisses him and then she bites his bottom lip. I learned I learned how to kiss from Hillary Burton. And <laughs> you know what? I am not apologizing for that. So I actually do that move and it was because of this show. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I don't think I've ever said that in a public or a private setting, so I just felt the need to tell you, so anybody, if you ever make out with me, just know I learned how to make out from Hillary Burton. Oh, that is hilarious. You learn something new every day. Hell yes. <laughs> but shall we get into this uh, coda? Yeah, let's do it. The song is Walk Into the Sun by Dirty Vegas. And it starts off with Andy sitting in a car outside of Dan Scott Motors, and he calls a hitman to say he has a job for him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I gotta lead into that. <laughs> calls someone. Someone. Yeah, we don't know who. That's all I wrote. Calls someone about a job. It's definitely a hitman. <laughs> and then we see um, Dan discuss the call of the wild with Lucas, and Lucas offers to help Dan at the dealership. What was that about, by the way? I- I don't get what that's about. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I can help you at the dealership. Like, okay. <laughs> and it showed that's... them, like, all happy and content, and it was a little weird. Like, I was kind of I was kind of unnerving. <laughs> it's like, why <laughs> why are you happy and content with Dan? I, I don't get that. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. But uh, next up, Brooke and Math rekindle their friendship and completely ignore all the other issues that they were having <laughs> previously because that's healthy to do. Peyton and Jake play with Jenny. <laughs> These scenes are just so cute. Yeah, and they don't roll on top of <laughs> Jenny in bed, which is also nice. <laughs> Sorry, ever since Jess pointed that out in the last episode, it just gives me a chuckle. <laughs> and finally, Nathan receives an envelope in the mail. And it's a drawing by Peyton, featuring two hands wearing wedded rings sitting above the words, sometimes they come back. And this inspires Nathan to call Haley. And then that's when he gets her voicemail. The episode ends! Yeah, that was a funny way that they ended it. With the voicemail. It's a nice way to, like, you know, get a new chapter. Like, it shows, like, hey, Haley is having her own life, but it also shows that Nathan is making an effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's lots of, who knows what could happen next. All right. So favorite quotes? Yeah. (laughs) So my favorite quote was the one you already read. It was from Jake to Peyton. Oh. When he says that he like missed a chance with her while while he had that chance. And he was thinking about being with her. I don't have to reread it. And then my honorable mention would be what Nathan said to Karen, which I read earlier. Oh. Because I love that scene. Which, wait, which quote was that that he said to the Karen? Remind me. When he was saying, like, he hadn't really thought about how Dan hurt her. Oh, yeah. That was cute. I love that moment. Um, my favorite quote is just, uh, <laughs> it's just a funny quote. When Brooke responds to Bevan and says, Bevan, you realize I'm not running for president of the United States, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the delivery is just so, yeah. so good. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, favorite musical moment? No musical moment stuck out to me, I guess, except the coda. That didn't even stick out to me that much, though, so I guess I'm just gonna say the coda, just because I don't know anything else. There were only a few songs, there were, like, four songs in this episode. Huh. What was your favorite, though? Um, the coda. I, I liked the coda well enough. It it wasn't, it wasn't a huge standout one, but, uh, Mm -hmm. I thought the coda, like, it sounded, I didn't look up the lyrics, but the song sounded hopeful. And I think it was paired with a lot of hopeful moments, like Broken Mouth, or Friends Again, Peyton and Jake were, you know, with Jenny. Um, you see Nathan reaching out to Haley, and basically those were the most uplifting, like, hopeful moments. Mm-hmm. But I, I just thought it matched matched that tone well. Yeah. I mean, the title was Walking to the Sun. Exactly. So. You know, it shows that, like, despite, like, all, like, the depressing content of this episode, things will look up and things will be okay. And you will walk into the sun as well. Exactly. So I give it three out of five student council elections. Oh, I give it three out of five happy babies. Or three out of five uh, lower lip bites. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. This... This episode is just—it's just okay to me. Yeah, it's—it's it's fine. Yeah, it, it was—it was just okay. I don't feel like—I mean, I know we just talked about it for an hour, but I—I <laughs> I don't feel like much happened. Same. Yeah. It was a lot of Nathan. Like it almost felt a little redundant. I, I liked the scenes that Nathan had, but it, it really did focus on that a lot. Yeah. Which was good to say, like I said, like uh, like I say all the time, like these filler episodes are great in many ways sometimes mm-hmm. because you get to see like people portray that emotion. Yep. 
Whereas I feel, you know, I feel like if this was like a regular 10 episode season, this would have started off with like, I don't know, Nathan doing something like super extreme. Yeah. Like, I just can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. <laughs> but And and Andy would have had a, the private investigator or whoever, the hitman or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that would have already been like, that would have progressed more. Like, it would there would have been more drama. Somebody would have been at, like, Dan's door, like, with a gun. Yeah, or or Jules would have went and was about to tell Keith everything, and then Dan stopped her, and there were just, yeah, there would have been a lot of fanfare. Yeah. Jules and Keith would have, like, been getting married today. Yeah. Jake and Peyton would be getting married. <laughs> just, let's just go, like, all over the place right now. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it, it moved the story along. It did. Yeah, absolutely. But... Who knows what's going to happen in the next one? We'll see. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. Cool. So, the scene that stood out to me immediately in this episode was when Peyton was defending Haley. Because then, later on in season three, when Haley comes back, Peyton isn't very nice to her. You're right. She really, like, gave Haley a hard time in season three. Yeah. And then she ends up justifying it by being like, you know, like, I always say that people always leave. Uh, You're just the first person who ever came back. I I remember that scene with Haley in season three. Well, also remember that Peyton... I mean, Jake had already left again, so she was still upset about that. Oh, I guess you could you could reframe it that way by just saying, like, she's just frustrated in general. Yeah. And, like, she's seeing Haley and she's sort of taking it out on her, I guess you could say. Yeah, she was definitely, she was going through a depression, like, kind of what Nathan was dealing with, but in season three. And I think, yeah, she was putting that on Haley. Yeah, for sure. So, I guess, like, I may think differently about this when we when we get to season three, but just, like, you know, right now, like, that's just standing out to me. I'm like, Peyton's kind of contradicting herself later on, you know? Yeah, also, Peyton's kind of feeling the emotions based on the things that are happening to her, you know? Like, she was all upset that Jake was gone, and now that Jake is back, she's happy. And then at the end of season two, Jake leaves again, and she's sad. So it's just, like, yeah. so dependent on on Jake. Right, yeah. That's not That's really sad. healthy. But her mindset changes depending on, like, what's happening. 
what's happened to, like, with her relationships and everything yeah. like that. And I get she's a teenager, but I feel like this is where, like, this is where Peyton gets shortchanged a lot in her characterization. Like, I feel like so much of, like, her development is so dependent on her relationships with other people. Yeah, you're right. And I'm like, Peyton, like, you need to, like, you need to spend time alone, girl, you know? She really does. And she does not spend a lot of time alone, like, ever. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Brooke, like, you know, Brooke, we get to see her be fiercely independent. We get to see her, like, accomplish things on her own. But Peyton just seems like she always needs somebody. She's kind of, like, codependent on other people. And that's not healthy. She is, because think about it. Well, she was with, she was into Lucas, and then not, and then Lucas, and then Jake. And then Jake comes, leaves and comes back. And then we go to season three, and then there's, like... She's with Ellie. Like, we can say that's a relationship as well. You know? It's not even just romantic relationships. It's literally just, like, you know, her just interpersonal relationships, period. She has that fling with Pete Wentz, and then she's back with with Lucas by season four. Yeah. I mean, that already kind of starts in season three with a kiss, and, like, things are complicated. But in season four, she's with Lucas... Finally. So there's not, yeah, there's not a lot of time where she's by herself. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can be, like, in a in a romantic relationship and still develop and still grow. You absolutely still can. But I feel like the way Peyton is portrayed, she just can't, uh, I feel like she needs people. It's the male savior. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever you want to call it, but. You're always saving me. But I love that line, though. I do to an extent, but it's also like, come on, Peyton, you need to save yourself. Oh my gosh. Wow. Also, were you talking about the sex scene between Jake and Peyton in episode 16? I know there's issues with it, but that's definitely the fanfare (laughs) moment. You cannot deny that. (laughs) I know. It's so complicated. Like, the feelings that I have toward that are so complicated because there's so much heat and so much fire in that episode. (laughs) But it's like... But we also know, like, these are teenagers, and it's, like, icky, and it's... I know, but, like, that scene, and we will get to that very soon, but, like, that is the fieriest sex scene of this whole show. (laughs) Would you, would you disagree with that? Peyton and Lucas never get a a scene like that. They get, like, the making love, or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) They never get a fiery scene like that. I think it's probably the most fiery sex scene of, like, network television in general. <laughs> and then that makes me think about, like, what Hillary Burton went through on this show more than any of the women. She got it the worst. Yeah. And she has, on Drama Queens, she has stated how she was so uncomfortable with, like, kissing scenes and everything. Mm-hmm. And she made that clear. Like, there was that one scene in season one where uh, her and Lucas are making out in a dance house. It was the um the, the basketball uh, yeah, the, banquet or what it, what was it called? It was some party. Yeah, it was yeah. Just I don't some remember party. the context. Yeah. And, Season one episode seven. Yeah, she was uncomfortable with kissing him and that's why he wore the tank top. Yeah. So I oh my gosh, just hearing about someone voicing how uncomfortable they are with with a scene like that, which is like PG versus Thinking about the season two scene with Jake. Yeah. Which is really like revealing and it's a sexy scene. It's supposed to be. (laughs) 
Yeah, and uh, there's a lot that we can unpack. The fact that it takes place between teenagers, people who are supposed to be teenagers. But I can understand, like, this scene can also be important to a lot of people. It may have awakened a lot of people's sexualities. There's, you know, it's it's complicated on, like, all sides, I think. But wow. Yeah, I mean, where, well, where does that scene come from in the show? You know, because there isn't a scene like that before it ever... I don't think we ever get anything like that again. No, I don't. I mean, we get we obviously <laughs> get so. sex scenes. I think we've got Haley and Nathan in the bathroom at the wedding. That was kind of hot. But they're much, much older. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that still wasn't even as revealing as as this, I think. I remember that scene. That scene's hot, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. She, like, rips open a shirt and she's yeah. like, kiss me. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what she says, but damn, that's, that's really fiery. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're older at that point, so it's like, okay, these are two adults. (laughs) That's where I'm like, right now, it's like, oh, these are teenagers. But can't deny it, it is very fiery. Seeing, like, two 20-somethings go at it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. We'll talk more about that in two episodes, though. That we will. So Andy hires a hitman, and the hitman uh, murders Dan, (laughs) and that's the end. The end. Can you imagine if Dan was killed off early on? Wow. What a different show this would be. I know. But damn. Uh, Now it turns out to be a private investigator. And the way they like, I don't know. I don't think I like the writing of this whole storyline. I, yeah. I I watch it and I'm like, what's happening? Like, what are they finding? Like, they find dirt, but then it's not real dirt. Dan like planted stuff there. But then Andy is able to figure out about Jules. Yeah, I was that, about to say that. That's what it all leads to, but like, I don't know. The stuff that came before it was kind of... Came after, you mean? Came after? Like all the stuff like, you know, like the planet evidence and stuff like that, like the fake ledger and everything, that comes after the Jules reveal. Oh yeah, it comes after the Jules reveal, you're right. I'm getting everything yeah. all mixed up in my head. Yeah, I only know this because I've recently rewatched the rest of season two. <laughs> it didn't really lead anywhere other than the fact that Andy got deported. Yeah. Because Andy didn't couldn't really find any dirt on Dan, other than, like, it started with the Jules thing, and then all the other stuff, nothing really came of it. Yeah. Because Lucas was trying to help him at the dealership. I didn't like all that part of it, personally. I got you, yeah. Because there's such a build-up throughout the season, like, oh, like, you know, what does Andy find in? Like, oh, like, he has this ledger, he's uh, pocketed some money on the side, and then it turns out to all be fake. Yeah. And then Dan plants and all this stuff, which makes Dan look even more sociopathic. <laughs> it does. It's like, I just need to prove your trust. And then he decides to stop paying for the HCM medication after that. I'm like, this is, okay, so you want your son to die. That's nice. Yeah. It just becomes a mess of a story, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh. I like it. There's a lot of things I like about it. But yeah, season two's really messy. The more I think about it, there's... It is. It is really... Like, when you think about Anna and Felix coming in, and then now they're... You already kind of see them fading out Mm. of the show. Like, apparently they're on a cruise. And that's how they're being explained. And then they're going to come back, but then then they're going to leave. And then there's still a few episodes left of the season. Yeah, Felix laughs. Yeah, Felix leaves at episode seventeen. Actually, you know, let's go in order. Jules leaves episode sixteen. Yep. Felix leaves episode seventeen. Then Anna leaves episode eighteen. And then we still have nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 
they really, whether they were intended to stay longer and then it just wasn't working or their story was just wrapping up. Like, Felix definitely, like, he he wasn't working. But, like, Anna, why couldn't (laughs) we have gotten more from Anna? I think it's just because, like, you know, the fans didn't really want these new characters. And One Tree Hill finds its way um, later on with introducing new characters. Oh, yeah. Season 5 is great with that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, season 5 is really funny because, like, you can introduce so many new characters in episode 1 and it just feels very natural. Yeah. In this season, like, everybody is, like, really, like, shoved out our throats. It's like, hey, he, these are new characters. You gotta like them now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I, I would totally agree with you. Season 2, there are messy, a lot of messy aspects of the storytelling. Based, you know, the new characters, like we just said, but then all these other little storylines. They just, I don't know. It's weird. Well, in these 36 episodes that we've uh, that we've already discussed, it was like opening so many amazing letters. But the rest of the series is just filled with unopened letters to the world. (laughs) That is the title of our next episode, Season 2, Episode 15, which we will discuss next time. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets, as Tree Hill teens film themselves for a time capsule to be opened in 50 years, the joys and fears they express play out in their lives. A drinking and driving incident lands Nathan and Lucas behind bars. We'll be seeing ya. ya.